very much. All right. Let's go back to it this evening. We're going back to the little book of Jonah. All right. The book of Jonah. And uh, just on these first three verses, I had 17 pages of notes. And I thought you might want me to split that up from this morning to this evening. I think you might have appreciated that. And so we're going to finish up this evening, all right? And uh, I promise not every, every three verses are going to be that long, okay? I promise that. But, uh, but that's how God directed me in my study as going through this book, beginning it anyway. And uh, so let's go back to it this evening, all right? And just to give you a quick recap, what we looked at this morning before we dive back, back into it in our second point is uh, just keep in mind that Jonah is, uh, has been given a, a commission from God, right? He has been given a command from the Lord, a request from God to do what, church? Do you remember two, start, it's a two-letter word, starts with a G. All right, let's do it all at one time. All right. Being given a commission to what? Go. go. That's right. He's been given a commission to go, to go to Nineveh, to go and cry against that city. To go to Nineveh and warn them of the coming judgment that is lingering above their heads. The wrath of God is about to fall unless they repent and believe and believe the message. Repent and believe, believe God. But the Lord has given Jonah a commission to go. And listen, we as a church have the same commission. We too must go. We must go with the gospel. We must preach the gospel. We must tell people of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the same command from God to go with the gospel. So again, let me uh, reiterate what we said this morning. Each one, reach one. Go with the gospel. Tell someone of Jesus Christ. Reach somebody with the good news of the Lord Jesus. Give them the gospel. Let's go with it, all right? Let's go with the gospel. Okay, so back in our, back in our study, go back with me, Jonah chapter 1, and uh, let's see this. Let's, let's, let's start verse number 1 again. We'll read verse 1, 2, and 3. Look at it with me. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare thereof, went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray again. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God, how precious it really is. And Lord, in this moment, I pray that you'd help us to understand it. Open our eyes and we behold wondrous things out of thy law. Teach us, we pray, and help us to apply these truths and principles we find from your word to our lives. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we saw number one this morning. We saw the Lord's request, how it was clear and how it was concise. But number two, take note of this. We see number two, the Lord's reason. What was the Lord's reason for telling Jonah to go to Nineveh? What was, what was the reason that the Lord was wanting to send Jonah to Preach to the people of Nineveh. Why would he do that? Well, number one, here's a reason I see uh, that the Lord sent Jonah, or was going to send Jonah to Nineveh. Number one, here's a reason, they were wicked. <laughs> this is a wicked bunch of people. Look again at verse number two. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness 
is come up before me. They were a wicked people. Now, when the Bible says they were wicked, what exactly is, uh, is it talking about here? What kind of wickedness are we talking about? I mean, just how bad are these Ninevites and the people of Nineveh? Well, if you take a little time to look at the history of the Assyrians, all right, that's what the Nineveh was, is probably the capital of Assyria at this time, or at least that, that area. But if you take time to study the Assyrians, history will, will shine a little light on their wickedness, on their brutality. You see, the Assyrians were a people of war. And they went about conquering many cities and countries around them. And as they did, listen, they did not follow a set of rules. There was no rules of engagement when it came to these ruthless people. Uh, these people, when they went to war and to fight, they were very brutal in their actions. They were very, listen, they were very inhumane. They were very ruthless. And as I was doing a little research, just a, just a little bit of research on them, I came across some of this. Uh, I read in a, in a book that's called, titled, Ancient Records of Assyria and Babylonia by uh, Daniel David uh, Luckinbill. Uh, but it is recorded about these individuals, about these uh, Assyrians, and during this time frame of certain leaders and what they did. One of their leaders, whose name is impossible to pronounce, uh, did this in battle. He, he recorded himself doing this. He said, this would be him writing first person. I stormed the mountain peaks and took them. In the midst of the mighty mountain, I slaughtered them. With their blood, I dyed the mountain red like wool. Their heads of their warriors I cut off, and I formed them into a pillar over against the city. Their young men, their young maidens, I burned in the fire. He would later on write how he had mutilated the bodies of, a living, of living captives. That the, the, the captives he took, he mutilated their bodies, and then eventually would stack their corpses in piles. Uh, another leader, Shalmaneser II, said to have recorded one of his war campaigns. And he said in that campaign, he said, A pyramid of heads I reared in front of his city. Their youths and their maidens I burnt up in the flames. King Sennacherib, which you will find his name in the word of God, he wrote of his enemies, it, he says, I cut their throats like lambs. Like the many waters of a storm, I made their entrails run down upon the earth, and their hands I cut off. And another campaign against Egypt, another uh, leader said this, that his leaders, his, his uh, captains would hang Egyptian corpses on stakes and strip them of their skins and cover the city walls with them. Understand it was the Ninevites, the Assyrians, who invented the first form, if you will, of a type of crucifixion. But after they did so, they would afterwards skin the individuals alive. And put that skin upon the wall. So anyone that would come by that conquered city and see that, that wall, the skin upon it, they knew who had been by there. It was the Assyrians. I'm telling you all that, and, and I didn't try to paint too graphic of a picture. Just trying to keep it very uh, low-key there, because some of the pictures that the historians painted were very brutal. But I paint all that to say this. Listen, they were a very wicked, brutal, ruthless people. And so it's no wonder that Nahum, the prophet Nahum, uh, called Nineveh a bloody city in Nahum chapter 3 and verse number 1. He says they were a bloody people. They were a wicked people. They were wicked in war. They were ruthless, brutal. Didn't care how they treated people. They didn't care what they did to their captives. Didn't care. They treated them very brutal. 
But not only in their war were they wicked, but they were also wicked in their worship as well. Understand, uh, these individuals were very much uh, uh, idol worshipers. Idolatry was rampant in Nineveh and in the area of Assyria. Gross idolatry was practiced throughout this territory, and many of them had many gods. Polytheism was, was practiced in worship during this time frame and in this area. And of course, you can use your, try to use your sanctified imagination, but the, the worship to these false gods was vileness of every sort and kind. It was horrid, horrid, wicked area and people, what they did, what they practiced, what, how they behaved, what they believed was just simple wickedness, evil, horrible. Their land was full of violence. Their land was full of darkness. And understand something, even their own leader at this time during Jonah's day admitted that very fact. In Jonah chapter 3, in verse 6 through 8, the Bible says, you can turn a page and look at it with me if you will, but Jonah chapter 3, verse 6 through 8, the Bible says, For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, he laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he caused to be proclaimed and published through, through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. This is a wicked place. And yes, the king knew it. Yes, the people knew it. And Jonah knew it. But you know who else knew it? God. God knew of their wickedness. Again, verse 2 of chapter number 1. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. This is why God was sending Jonah to Nineveh. It's a wicked place. Wicked place. And as you think of this wickedness and their brutality, and as you think of um, how dark this place and area was, how dark these people were, uh, if you're like me, I had this thought. I had this thought. Well, God, why are you going to send Jonah there? I mean, why, why don't you just, just wipe them out? I mean, you, you, you've, you've seen people live this way before. You, you know how people have behaved like this before, I mean, after all, you destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That was a wicked place. I mean, after all, as you look in the book of Genesis, you see how the world was full of wickedness and violence. And you wiped them out with a flood. Why are you allowing them to live? Why send the prophet Jonah to a wicked city such as Nineveh? Why would you do that? Well, number two. The second reason, which I believe is the overriding reason as to why the Lord sent Jonah is this. You ready? Here's why God sent this prophet Jonah. Understand, yes, they were wicked, but these people were loved as well. They were loved. No, not by Jonah, I can promise you that. But they were definitely loved by God. Loved by the Lord. Understand, it's very true that Sodom and Gomorrah was a, well, were wicked places. But understand, Sodom and Gomorrah, they had a righteous witness in the midst of them. Do you remember who it was? Starts with an L, ends with an Ot. Lot, that's right. 
Lot was in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, a righteous witness. And we know he was righteous because the Bible says in 2 Peter that he was just. 2 Peter 2, 7. Just Lot. He knew the Lord. He knew God. He could have been a righteous witness in the midst of that wicked place. Yes, it's true as well that the earth was full of violence and wickedness just before the flood. But understand, those people had a witness as well. Do you remember who it was? He built an ark. Noah. That's right. It was Noah. Noah, a preacher of righteousness, as the Bible says, 2 Peter 2, 5. They had a witness to warn them of judgment to come. But Nineveh didn't have a witness in the midst of them. Did they deserve judgment? Oh, absolutely. Sure. But they didn't have their witness, such as Gomorrah had, Sodom had, and the world before the flood had. So God sent Jonah to warn them, to preach them. Why would he do that? Because I believe, listen, because God loved them. He loved these people. And as I think of that, as I, as I think of him sending Jonah, and as I think how wicked these people were, it's absolutely amazing to me. That God would even, even one ounce of love towards them, but he fully loves them. It's amazing to me to think of that. He loved them in spite of who, who they were, in spite of what they had done. God loved these dear people. And not only that, he wanted them. He wanted them. He loved them and he wanted them. You know, as you sit down to think of this fact, it should do this. It did it for me. It should humble us and amaze us all at the same time. Because listen, we are no better than Nineveh. We're made of the same fallen flesh. We're made of the same dirt. We're no better. We are wicked. We are sinners just as they were. We too deserve judgment from a righteous God. We too deserve wrath from a holy God. And yet like them though, we too are loved. We're just like them. We're just like them. I like what Paul said to the, uh, to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter number 2. I want to read these verses to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. He says this, Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Uh, Paul was saying to them, look, because of who you are and how you've walked and because of your sin, because of your disobedience, because you're fulfilling the desires of your flesh and mind, understand you are by nature, meaning the natural flow of things, you are by nature the children of wrath. You deserve it, even as others. We deserve that wrath. Nineveh deserved that wrath, and we do as well. It's pretty bad when you start thinking about it, but I'm glad, I'm glad the Holy Spirit didn't stop Paul and in that chapter on that verse. Rather, he continued writing, and it says this. Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 through 9. Listen. Yes, we are the children of wrath, by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God. I know it's a little cliche, especially around here in the South. But I still am thankful that God butts in our situations. 
I'm glad he does. But the Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith we, he has loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, listen, it's all because of the mercy and grace of God that, that Nineveh had the opportunity to hear the message of judgment to come and they repent and believe God now. It's only because of the grace, mercy, and love of God. And the same is, is, goes for us as well. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us. Meaning he, here's, how, here's how we know he loved us. Here's how he showed it. In that while we're yet sinners, while we're yet wicked in our sin. Here it is. Christ died for us. That's how you and I know that he loves us. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful for his grace. I'm thankful that he freely loves us and gives his salvation to whosoever shall call upon his name. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the word of God and the gospel we find, do find in it. So understand, listen, Nineveh, they were wicked people. Absolutely. They were horrendous. They really were. But they were loved. It's amazing. I never want to get over the amazing grace, the amazing love that God has toward us. So don't think, listen, don't ever think that someone you know is too far gone, out of the reach of the grace of God. That's not true. As we say, if there's breath in the body, there's always hope. Listen, they're not too far gone. Keep preaching, keep praying, keep telling them the gospel. You just never know when God will finally get a hold of their heart and they call upon Jesus. Repent. And be saved. So, this, this is the main reason I believe that the Lord sent Jonah because, well, God loved them. And Jonah, he was just to simply go. Go, Jonah. Go and tell the people the message that God has given to you. Go. So, we see number one, the request from the Lord. Number two, we see the reason he wants to send Jonah. And lastly, number three, we want to see this Jonah's response. Jonah's response. Now, we can see his response in verse number 3. We already know what he's supposed to do, but look what he did. Verse number 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Listen, here's his response. Jonah rose up not to say, yes, sir. And go to, go to Nineveh. He didn't rise up and say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. No, no, no. Jonah rose up to flee, run from the presence of God. It's amazing to think about. This was his response. You ready? Simple. His response was this. No. <laughs> Mm-mm. I'm not going. 
And we can sit and, and talk about the reasons he may have had in his mind of not going. Maybe he was just a, you know, he was just a very staunch patriot. I mean, he was, after all, a Jewish man, Israelite, right? And uh, Nineveh, Assyrians, they were the arch enemies. And he, being a prophet of God, knew that surely they would be judged for their wickedness. He knew how wicked they were and knew that God was going to judge them. And so if I go to the complete opposite direction of the other side of the world... I won't have time to go over there and the judgment of of God will fall and destroy them. Or perhaps he was scared. We We could say that. I mean, after all, very brutal, wicked people. Listen, we could try to sit here and list of many reasons of why he would say no, but all of them would be wrong. But that was his response. His response was no. And this was not a passive aggressive no. This is a full, outright blown, outright disobedience to God. No. And he fled from the presence of the Lord. He disobeyed the Lord. I'm reminded of what Charles King said many years ago at one of our missions conferences. I've got it written down in my Bible. I never wanted to forget it. Simple, but I never want to forget this. And it encourages me and challenges me just about every day when I think about it. But he said this phrase. He said, never be afraid of obedience. Man, that stuck with me. But it seems that here Jonah was just that. He didn't want to obey. Afraid to obey, possibly, but he's just flat out said no. And he disobeyed the clear command of God. And when you look at Jonah and look how he's rebelling, uh, we can kind of get on a uh, self-righteous bandwagon, a self-righteous train and look at him and say, Jonah, my goodness, man, what's wrong with you? Running from the presence of God, you should be running to the presence of God. After all, you're a prophet of God. Run to God. Why are you being such a rebel? I can't believe you would do that. Come on, Jonah. I mean, after all, you know better, man. You are a prophet. What's wrong with you? And uh, we could say those things and, listen, be right. (laughs) Really could. It'd be right in saying, Jonah, you know better because, well, he does. It'd be right in saying, Jonah, you're being wrong. You're, You're being a rebel this moment. Well, he was. That'd be right. But that's not exactly the response I want to have as I see Jonah in this moment. You know, you know a better response I think would be good for all of us uh, this evening? As we look at the prophet Jonah, it, it would be this, this application at least. It would be this, not, not look at how bad Jonah is or look what the wrong he is doing. Rather, do this, all right? Do this. Have some self-reflection. Have some self-examination. And pray this prayer that David had in Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is a good response to have as we look at even such a man as Jonah and his rebellious part of his life. Lord, search me. Because I'm reminded I'm made, again, I'm made of the same stuff. And I could be tempted the same way to run from the presence of God and disobey the Lord. Absolutely. We all have that, have that uh, 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 ability to do. We all do. So pray that prayer in Psalm 139. Lord, search, search me. So let me ask you today, what is your response? What is your response to the Lord when he speaks to your heart from the word of God? Are you quickly to obey? Are you quick to say, yes, sir? 
Uh, will you be quick to uh, obey the clear commands of the Word of God? Will you go? Will you give? Will you pray? Will you obey the Word of God? The clear commands we see as we talked about this, this morning. You know, there are skeptics even who study the Bible and have done so for years, and yet they are not changed by the truth that they study and read. You know why? Well, because they don't believe it. Yes, they have a head knowledge of what the Bible says, but they will not believe what the Bible says. And since they will not believe what the Bible says, they will not obey what the Bible says. Our belief should be backed up by our obedience. You with me so far? It should be. And it, our obedience uh, should be seen, obedience to the Word of God, to God Himself, should be seen in our lives. Others should see it. They should know that. You know, I found it interesting that uh, Karl Marx, who laid the foundation for communism, and just so you're aware, communism is bad, all right? We don't want that, okay? Just so you know, in case you didn't. But uh, he laid the foundation for all of that. But did you know that Karl Marx had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John memorized as a teenager? And yet this man died an atheist. Why? Because he refused he refused to obey the truth that was right in front of him. He looked at revealed truth and said, here it is, no. He died an apostate atheist because he would not obey what he knew to be true and right. Now, again, it's easy for us to look at a guy like Karl Marx and shake our heads and say, well, what a shame, you know. What about us today? Are we aware of the truth that we know to be true, and yet not practicing it? How much better are we than even Karl Marx himself? Listen, we must obey the word of God. James puts it quite bluntly and plainly when he says, he says this in James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. We must be doers of the word. Again, James says that in James 1, 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. We must be doers, obeyers of the word of God. You see, sometimes we think we are deceiving others around us with our hypocritical living, but really the people who are fooling is ourselves. We are the real fool if we're only a hearer and not a doer. We must be a doer of the word of God. We must obey the scriptures and that's the response that Jonah should have had he should have just simply rose up said yes sir run straight to God and went straight to Nineveh but his response was no what is yours what is yours I know I'm talking primarily to believers this evening I get it Sunday night crowd I understand but listen Jonah was a prophet of God. And he still said no. What is your response to the Lord and His Word? So we see very clearly in the first few verses of this little book of the Bible how the Lord gave Jonah a great commission to go. And we do as well have the same. A commission to go and give the gospel. And He gave wonderful reasons as why to Jonah should go that main one is because I believe he loved these people and wanted them to have the privilege and opportunity to repent and believe God. There's people out there 
needing that as well, needing to hear the message so they too have the privilege to repent and believe the gospel. But he responded wrong. His response was no. His response was run from the presence of God. His response was to be a rebel and reject what God told him to do. Next Sunday morning, we'll look at that. As how does God deal with rebels? How does God deal with those that reject or disobey his word? How does God deal with that? We'll look at that next Sunday morning. But again, my question, final question really for you this evening is this. How are you going to respond to the Lord, to his word, and that he's working in your life? How will you respond?